You're listening to Playback, a Variety iHeartRadio podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. This week I'm talking to director Brett Haley, whose recent films I'll See You in My Dreams and The Hero have helped establish him as a prolific voice in independent cinema. His latest is called Hearts Beat Loud, starring Nick Offerman, Kiersey Clemens, Ted Danson, and Tony Collette. We talk about that film, which is sort of a love letter to Red Hook, Brooklyn, and about the state of independent cinema in general, among other things. So, sit tight. This is Playback. It's almost two. Turns two in June. That's awesome. We're going back east for that. North Carolina for birthday yeah, party at yeah, my parents' place. Totally. Stuff, so. That's great, man. You know, living the life. I know. Every we both met our our women in college. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Linda Linda uh, was in the drama program. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. She's like she's the barista. She's got some stories then. Oh yeah, she did. She did not like me back <laughs> back in in actual college. It was a it was a thing. <laughs> Yeah, I'd probably for sure. April probably the same way. With <laughs> uh, well, we're recording. Um, you know, half hour chat. Yeah, about your flick. Dive right in. I'm here with Brett Haley, everyone, director of Hearts Beat Loud, which was uh, your Mr. Sundance lately, man. You keep going to Sundance with your stuff. How's that? <laughs> I mean, first of all, first yeah. of all, thank you for doing the show. Oh well, thank you for having me, Chris. I mean, uh, being at Sundance uh, three times in four years is certainly. You know, it feels good. <laughs> I mean, getting the Sundance seal of approval is always uh, a big deal, and I'm never sure I'm going to get in. And I think with I'll See You in My Dreams, it was like a total shock. You yeah. know, I just submitted and had, you know, didn't know anybody over there. And the fact that it got in and did so well, and and then the hero and Hearts Beat Loud after that, it's, it, you know, if you, you want to sell your movie, you go make a true independent film. Yeah. That's the place you want to be. Yeah. So I'm very I'm very grateful to them. I'm glad they like my movies. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what was it like this time compared to the other couple of times? You know, with uh, coming in with Hearts Beat Loud. Yeah, I mean, I we were the closing, we were the closing film. film. Yeah, yeah, that was a little bit different just because we premiered so late, and obviously it's a, you know, it's a it's a business driven week for every filmmaker. They're trying to yeah. sell their movies, so. We had like some press screenings and early screenings for buyers. Then Sundance was very good about that. They they you know gave us a lot of screenings so that people could see the movie early. And um, you know I think everybody felt um, you know a little bit more pressure this year than other years, just because certain buyers weren't making moves, and you know the industry is constantly changing and evolving. And you know, but if you look at it. There's really strong movies coming out of Sundance this year. You've got Hereditary, you've got Blind Spotting, you've got, you know, um, American Animals. American Animals, and it's a lot of really good films, you know, uh, coming out. And the film that I saw you at, um, Search, Search. You know, I mean, there's some really great films coming out that I think are going to feed, you know, audiences this summer and the fall. And I think it was a good Sundance. All, like when the dust settled, I think everyone was kind of freaking out at the festival. Like, oh, things are a little slow. Yeah, I, I came it, in. There the... was that feeling. Yeah. But if you look at it, it's like, hey, sorry to bother you. Is getting a huge release, and Blind Spotting's getting a massive push. We're getting a push. I think it's. I think it's 
when the dust settles, I think we'll look back and go, everything's the same. It's fine. I don't fine. know what people are looking for. Usually, I was there for the tail end for the second half of the festival. So I came in on Tuesday. Already it's like, oh, this is a week Sundance, blah, blah, blah. First thing I see is hereditary. I'm like – what is it all downhill yeah. after this or something? And and everything I saw I really liked. And I think people are just expecting it to be another big sick mudbound kind of year. Call me by your name. It's like yeah. th- that's a that's a big year. But like this year, I thought there were solid films. It, it was more spread around. There wasn't, and that's always. I think that's good. Yeah. When there isn't one movie that everyone is talking about from the festival, but rather like five or six or seven movies that everyone's like, I really like these movies, and they're doing well and. You know, I I think that's more ideal than anything. So I th- I'm I'm excited. You know, all these movies are getting big theatrical pushes, and and we sold our movies at Sundance. And I mean, that's the yeah. whole goal. So you know, every every can, every Sundance, we're always going. Oh, what's going to happen? And I think it's just you know, it's evolving. It's about staying relevant. But I think those festivals continue to be extremely relevant. You guys are uh, with Gunpowder and Sky. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think about this company? I really like Not Gunpowder that you would be like, Sky. Oh, they yeah, suck. no, they're great. I mean, they did such a good job with Jeff Baina's film last year, The Little Hours, and they're obviously a new company, but they're all people who have been doing this a very long time. You've got a lot of film buff people, and then Van, who ran MTV and was, you know, a huge part of MTV films. So you look at the films he put out, like he put out Napoleon Dynamite, he put out Election, he put out, you know, Varsity Blues, he mm-hmm. put out all these movies that I think really you know hustle and flow mm-hmm. and van just knows he's he's it's a great partner for us because he knows music he knows the music world and he knows the film world mm-hmm. and i think they've been very smart about how to approach this movie and frankly i went with them over other companies because they were just really passionate about this film mm-hmm. they they really understood it and how to get it out there and you know they're they're really they're putting their money where their mouth is. They're putting it out, and we're going to get a push. And obviously, we have to do well. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to. People have to come see it opening weekend, and we're doing a expansion on Father's Day weekend, which we think could be a good thing. Yeah, but they've been great, and I think that the more of these companies that come out, the better for the industry. Absolutely, because what's happening with the bigger companies is they're doing stuff from the inside. Mm-hmm. But I th- I think there's got to be room right now for filmmakers to be able to make something completely outside of the system and for companies to pick it, pick it up. Yeah. I think it's crucial Absolutely. that everything isn't developed within and, – and that's happening more and more, and I think that's good. Hey, you get an Amazon deal or an A24 deal. That's great. Mm-hmm. But I also think there should be room for like nobody really wants this, but I'm going to go make the movie anyway and then sell it yeah. and see what audiences think because I've made all, all of my movies that way. Yeah. I've never had a big company be like, yeah, we want to make this – Within the system, mm-hmm. it's always been after the fact that the finished product speaks for itself, and audiences are responding to it, and then it gets an it finds its you know it gets a distribution deal from from there. Yeah, absolutely. I had uh, you know had cats on the show a few weeks yeah. back, and we were talking about uh, his film and his take on just kind of the state of independent cinema and what it's like out there. Uh, you tell us what's it like for you guys. I mean, I for me, it's been an incredibly healthy you know i've i've had the opportunity from the you know minor success of my films to go and make more films you know i think that the level at which you can make films is is going to be limited Mm -hmm. and that's just that's just how this this works you're not going to get the five or ten million dollar completely independent movie with no distribution in place it happens but you've got 
you know, Judd Apatow or something behind those types of films. So what I've had to do is I've had to change my vision basically to create these movies. And Mark Bash, my co-writer, and I, I think write write it down. You know, it's like, hey, we wanted five million for this movie. We got X. You know, we got much less than that. How do we go about now approaching this? Right. So I think that it's a challenge in a way, but also as a filmmaker, you want to feel like you have the ability to flex your muscles, that you have the ability to to have more time and more money to do more interesting things with coverage, with blocking, with cinematic beats. And I think I, I've done all of my movies in 18 days. You know, there's no time for that. And I try my best to put whatever I can into it. Mm-hmm. But what I have to do as a director is put my my eggs in one basket, and that basket is the script and it's the performances. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, the, obviously the music. Yeah. And and so for me, it's like it's a it's a gift to be able to make a film, any film. And so I've been very pleased with it. I do look forward to the moment in which someone's like, "Hey, we're going to give you a little bit more time and money mm-hmm. to to actually execute something," because I think you're getting some version of it. Mm-hmm. But the independent, I think it's it's vibrant. I mean, if you look at all the avenues, yeah, there's so many avenues for movies to get out now. Mm-hmm. So I think more movies are being made, more good movies are being made. There's obviously always going to be bad movies, but no one is trying to make bad movies. Everybody's right. trying to make good films. And I, I don't see it as a big, like, red alert, oh, my God, what are we going to do? I, I, I still think movies are, you know, we've got these huge movies and we've got this these kind of you know, you can go see Solo and you can go see Hearts Beat Loud yeah. in this this summer. Yeah. They're they're both sitting there for the audiences to see. So I'm not freaking out about it in any way. You have strong feelings about uh, the streamer world, about you know uh, companies like Netflix that the amount of product they're putting out is crazy. Yeah, it's uh, a lot. It, 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 it's part of their business model to have like a stranglehold on on that in a way but uh you know do you do you have any strong feelings about people seeing your stuff on screen on a big screen or not or anything like that i I think that there are certain movies that play really well on a big screen i I can tell you from people who've seen hearts beat loud on their computer versus seeing hearts beat loud on with an audience it's always better with an audience Mm -hmm. and you know i think as old school kind of you know our generation that what there was not a streaming service growing up. It was like we had to go to the movies, yeah. and Blockbuster was our, you know, our Netflix, if you will, and it was a big deal. We had to wait like a year to see a movie on video. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's an adjustment to be like. But then you look and you're like, look at the movie, look at the who Netflix is giving their money to. They're giving them to people who maybe normally wouldn't, because the studio system, and I don't blame them. Is is relying on IP. It's relying on big things that everybody knows. Mm-hmm. Netflix is giving avenues for big, big movies for filmmakers and auteurs that maybe normally wouldn't be there. Amazon is the same thing. It's, it's to me, it's all good. Yeah, you know, I think that whether your movie lives on it, it you're just looking at different stakes basically. Mm-hmm. Like when your movie comes out in the box in the in the theater, you've got to deal with. How are the critics going to respond? Because that's going to drive business. How is the box office going to be? And then there's awards at the end of all of that. Mm-hmm. 
It's just stress upon stress upon stress. And there's something about this idea of like, well, my movie's on Netflix and there you go. <laughs> I'm moving on with my life, you know, moving on to the next project. Right. I've uh, – to some degree, I'm very much that kind of filmmaker. I, I like to just be like I'm, I've, I've done what I can for this movie and now I'm moving on. Yeah. There's, But there's nothing better than knowing that my movie is going to be out in theaters. But, of course, no one could come and see it. And then it's like, oh, well, that's a bummer. Yeah. Or it could be a hit and everybody comes see and that's a really good feeling. But Netflix, you know, while you, you don't get those highs, you don't get those lows either. Right, right. It's just sort of like, okay, I'm done. The movie's out. People can see it. I mean, I read somewhere that like 8 million or 9 million people streamed Roxanne, Roxanne. Like people are watching movies on, wow. on, on, this, uh, on this platform. So um, – I'm open to all of it. I really am. I would love to make a movie for Netflix or have Netflix buy one of my movies. I like my movies being in theaters. I think it just I think they know exactly what they want yeah. and what will play on the platform. I think they're I think they're doing smart things. Yeah. And I like I like how many options there are for for movies, how many, you know, avenues there are. Absolutely. Uh let's talk about how prolific you are. Uh pretty pretty prolific lately. Uh stacking up projects. Walked in here you said you were Working on another one already. I'm working on like six other ones. Working on a number of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how do you stay motivated to keep writing like that? It's hard. I couldn't do it without Mark Bash, my co-writer. I mean, like, if it was just me, I, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't be nearly as prolific as I've been. I think Mark and I have a really great working relationship, and we push each other. You know, we say like, "Look, we've got to, we've got to write a movie," and. I think now we're looking to kind of graduate to get to the next level as I was kind of talking about to try to get a bigger movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking like a Marvel movie. I'm just saying right. – which by the way, if you're listening Marvel, I'll, I'll take the job. But um, You'll take you know, the meeting. Exactly. I'll take the meeting at least. <laughs> just uh, – you know, I love all those I, – I love big movies. Like you know, I went and saw Deadpool 2 as yeah. soon as it came out. I saw Infinity War the second it came out. I, I really do enjoy big movies. Mm-hmm. I also enjoy these small films, and and I think that to be as prolific as I've been, it's because I've I've ch- I've chosen to make small films, four small films basically in a row, three very very close together. Yeah. And for me, it was sort of like, well, I can sit around for two or three years trying to get the next big thing going, or I can just keep making movies. And I'm really addicted to being on set and working. I I just love it. Mm-hmm. And I feel sort of empty if I'm just writing, if I'm and not being and not directing. So I'm driven, I think, a lot by just the allure of being back on set because yeah. I'm happiest and and kind of the best version of myself on set. Right. So that sort of addiction keeps me like going. Yeah. And I and and it's been something that you know, God bless Mark for just kind of sticking with me and and pushing and working really fast and hard and rewriting on set and doing everything we can to get to the next thing. But I think, you know, my goal is to do a movie a year, at least for a while. I, you know, that's a pretty difficult thing to do. I don't know if that'll be something that I can accomplish, but if you can shoot them all in 18 days, you will yeah. be able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and at some point we got it. Like I said, we got to get maybe, I don't know. I'll take 24, <laughs> something, anything, anything more than 18. Uh, this one, Hearts Beat Loud, it's about a uh, guy owns a record shop, uh, a widow, widower, single father. Um, he and his daughter kind of strike up a band and they have a sudden hit kind of uh, in, in the summer before she goes to college. Uh, where did this idea come from? You know, it's something that like I 
I love, you know, the, I think I wear my inspirations pretty squarely on my sleeve on this one. You know, there's a dash of high fidelity. Hmm. There's some, that thing you do. There's a little inside Lewin Davis. There's a bit of once. I love those movies and I specifically high fidelity and, and that thing you do, I, I kind of grew up on and really feel a connection to those films. So I think that I've, it's always been kicking around. Like as a filmmaker, I'm constantly thinking about ideas and genres that I want to kind of be in. I'm a huge musical fan. I love musicals, like full on musicals, but I also love band movies or movies about music. I'm a bit of a music snob and this was an avenue and a way for me to, to kind of get that part of me out there. And then working with Keegan and knowing how talented Keegan DeWitt is and knowing that he could write these songs. Like I, I just had a feeling it just sort of kind of came together because of a mix of influences and things that I wanted to do and the kind of movie I wanted to make. Mm -hmm. And once I had the premise, Mark and I through the writing of it really, that's where the themes really started coming in. And I think there's this film on the surface is quite simple. Even, even if you look at it and watch it and, and walk out of the theater enjoying it, you can say that was, it was pretty simple. Mm -hmm. It was pretty straightforward, but it's actually quite layered. There's a lot going on beneath the surface. I think of all my movies, but particularly this one, mm -hmm. that there's more going on. And I really like that. I really like the subtlety and, and, and what is be behind the dialogue or behind the scene or behind the moments and what the movie's really saying about family, what it's saying about creation, art, music, about lost dreams. There's a lot going on in this movie, and I think people are hopefully connecting with that aspect of it. But, you know, it, it's something where I knew I wanted to do a musical mm -hmm. for lack – so this is kind of my version of a musical, yeah, like an indie – Musical. Yeah, I'm a big School of Rock fan. I love School of Rock. Huge fan of that movie. I mean, you can watch that movie. If that movie's on, you're watching it. Yeah, it's one of those movies. High Fidelity. So top top five, uh, side one, track ones. Oh, Go. man. No, oh, man, yeah. <laughs> I almost could do it, but I'm not going to. Uh, this one kind of lives or dies by the chemistry between these two, obviously. Yeah. Nick Offerman and Kiersey Clemens. Uh, what, what made them the right match? You know, it was a bit of magic. You know, I like to think that I know how to cast a movie and I have a feeling about, like, who's going to be good together. Mm -hmm. And, frankly, I didn't know with Nick and Kiersey. I just – I just, I, they didn't know each other. I, I knew that Nick – Nick's one of those actors and people who just – everyone who meets him loves him. He's just that kind of guy. Yeah. He can – and great actors, by the way, are like that. Because your job as an actor, one of your jobs, is to connect with the other actors you're working with. Whether or not you have a connection with them in real life or not. It's like part of your job is to create that chemistry. Mm -hmm. And Nick is so open and he's so genuine. And Kiersey, you know, I, I didn't know. I just knew of her work. And I was a huge fan of hers. And when I discovered she could sing, I just m made the offer. And so I was like nervous, you know, I was like, Nick and Kiersey are literally meeting like three days before we start shooting and we've got to do band rehearsals and all this stuff. And they met and immediately I knew because we started a text chain mm -hmm. and immediately they started like busting Bantering. each other's balls yeah. and banter. And I was immediately like, oh, we're going to be fine. Yeah. But I think Kiersey and Nick just have that talent of, of sort of opening themselves up and and allowing 
themselves to be able to connect. Mm-hmm. It, it requires sort of opening the gates and saying, I'm here, I'm available, let's let's do this. Right. And they both have that ability. I mean, Kiersey Clemens can walk into any room and just own it mm-hmm. without being just she just walks in and you're like, watch out. <laughs> here comes Kiersey. And their chemistry was just, I think, really genuine because I think both Nick and I have this with Kiersey where we're trying Kiersey's so cool. We want her to think we're cool. So I think it was – like Nick was all – he said that a lot, that he's just like, I was just trying to get her to like me and think I was cool. And that's very dad. It's very much like a dad, yeah. And it just sort of fell right into that. So they just had this natural thing. And then the music and – but I really just they're, – they're both just such open and genuine people that I think it was just – just we got we got really lucky with that. Now what was the conversation like convincing Ted Danson to play a bartender again? It was actually – <laughs> way too easy and i just remember ted because uh, i remember saying that would be such a big deal to get him back behind a bar but he probably won't want to yeah but nick is friends with him and nick is an executive producer on the movie so nick called him and he's buddies they work together on fargo and he said look i want you to come the way nick puts it is come play with me come play with me for a couple of days in brooklyn you get to, we get to be my buddy in this movie it'll be it'll be fun and ted read the script and he's like i really like it i want to do it he goes but can i be a pothead and I was like, yeah, you can be a pothead. So Mark and I wrote rewrote pages for him to be a pothead and sent it back to him. And he's like, I love it. I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> so – and he's – man, he's – I've just gotten so lucky like working with people like Blythe Danner, Sam Elliott, Rhea Perlman, June Squibb, Mary Kay Place. All these old school people who have been in the industry for so long. They're, they're all incredible. And Ted just adds to that list of just like this is a guy who has every right to kind of just be checked out and like I don't care. I don't he is so passionate and kind and giving and so so fun to watch work. Yeah. I mean it was I, it was the first two days of shooting with him. And I was just giddy. You know, my brother came to set, he's like Sam Malone was like my god, you know, when I was a kid watching Cheers. And we all feel that way. We all feel like we know Ted Danson and he's better than you think. Yeah. Like you think he's going to be amazing. He's actually better than you think. And I don't take it for granted how big of a deal it was to get him behind a bar. But that's Ted for you. He didn't He didn't think of it that way. He was just like, oh, yeah, that's the role. Let's do it. <laughs> Where was that bar, by the way, that you shot this? So that's Sonny's. That's a, that's a famous Red Hook bar, really okay. old school bar. So the name of the bar in, in the movie is the actual name. And it's it's in the heart of Red Hook near the water. And it was an old um, sort of like the dock workers and the and the the boat guys used to come off the piers there in Red Hook back in the day. They'd go to Sunny's at like five a.m. and have coffee and whiskey, beers, and breakfast. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been there, you know, forever. And it's just this incredibly down to earth, like authentic place. And they have music every weekend, and it's just it's quite. It's quite the place. Were there any challenges? Like, obviously, you wrote a lot of this with places in mind. Yeah. Uh, what, what, did you have to let anything go? Were there anything – anything didn't come together? Yeah, I mean, and like, I, like I was talking about, when you have only so much time and only so much money, you have to be able to say, well, I can't do that. Yeah. You know, Mitski is in the movie on a computer screen, and originally we were going to go to a Mitski concert. You know, I wanted – you know, Kiersey's character to go to a Mitski show and be inspired right. in person by her. But it's just, you know, the second you start looking at logistics, well, that's half a day of shooting. Well, we need the venue. I need at least 100 extras, and even that's going to look thin. Yeah. Then we've got to, like, figure out the logistics of the 
how is the performance going to be immediately like well shoot it, that isn't like one million percent necessary at least in that way to tell the story shoot that's got to go yeah so stuff like that that's what you have to do on these level of films you have to say well i i can't get everything so how can i make this work but for the most part, you know, when we wrote Baked, which is a, a, a coffee and bakery in, in Red Hook where uh, Nick's character hears a song for the first time, you know, that was written and Sonny's was written. And I'm trying to think, you know, yeah, like where Stinky. Was the, where was the shop? The shop is actually in Greenpoint. It's okay. called Academy Records. Oh, okay. And it's a huge space and that's why I picked it because yeah, yeah. it was just a big space. So it's not actually in Red Hook. There's there is a little record store in Red Hook, but shooting there would have been, especially for how much of the movie takes place mm-hmm. in the record shop, it just would have, you know, we wouldn't have had the real estate to kind of keep things dynamic and have that. De- I was really looking for that depth to be able to shoot through the record rows yeah. and things like that, and also to do the performance. Okay, I've got to get thirty people in here do a performance. So we shot that in Greenpoint, um, but Red it was always going to be a made up record store red hook records so yeah but uh, for the most part we got you know we got what we wanted i think again just time money it handcuffs you a bit you can't go out and shoot all the stuff you want to shoot but that you know it also focuses you getting put into a box you're like all right now i've got a what's really important to tell this story yeah it's like and that's what the script was the script was like 80 pages yeah and it was just what was 100 percent necessary and still stuff got cut in post you know you're still so, so in some ways, it's a great uh, exercise yeah, definitely. In, in narrative storytelling. We got to talk about Tony Collette. I just had Tony on the show an hour ago. Uh, she sends her love. She's the best. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. She's the best. She really. That, is. that was going to be my hope that you would launch from that. So yeah, yeah let's go from there. She's the best. Well, Why I is met, she the best? Well, it was it was amazing because I met Tony at a party at Sundance. Uh, not this year, but last year when I was there with the hero and she was there with fun mom dinner. And I went, I know Adam and Naomi Scott and they're, they're amazing. And they produced that movie and, um, they invited me to their little party after their premiere. And so I went and Tony was there and, you know, I try to be cool around celebrities and I'm not like, I'm, I'm a big, like, (laughs) I get really nervous around celebrities. Um, I still get nervous around people like I've worked with. Like I just love – because I, you know, I'm a movie guy. I love yeah. actors and I, so I get a little nervous. And so I saw Tony and I was like, oh, I can't you know, go up to Tony Collette and tell her how much I, I love her. She's at her party. I don't want to bother her. But eventually at some point I just was like, fuck it. I'm going. I'm going to go talk to Tony Collette. And I, w- I just sort of like – it was on the dance floor and I was like, hey, I'm Brett. I have a movie here at the <laughs> festival. I think you're amazing and I just really want to work with you. Like can I, can I write something for you? I was like, is there something that you – like if there's something that you feel like you're missing in your career, I'll help you because I love writing for actors. And um, – you know, she smiled and was very nice, and I thought, well, uh, you know, at least I tried. And then to my surprise, a few months later, I got a call from my agent saying, Tony Collette wants to sit down with you and have a coffee. She's in New York. Wow. And so she, we sat down, and we had coffee, and, and we talked, and she told me about some ideas, and we just kind of talked. And at that time, Hearts Beat Loud was really kind of just still up in the air. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do something where Tony was the lead. I was like, that's what our conversation was about. But when it came up and Les- the role of Leslie was available, I was like, you know what? I'm going to – I'm just going to ask Tony. And I don't know if you guys talked about this, but she told me – I think she was just coming off of Hereditary. Mm-hmm. 
and she was like, I just needed a break. Like, I she just needed a break before Hereditary. Oh, so yeah, she, she, did she some, wanted some... to do like lighter stuff, and then yeah. she got this like heavy, heavy script with Hereditary. But I mean, she's obviously incredible. I mean, I cannot wait to see that movie. Oh, you haven't seen it? No. Oh, man. I know. I'm excited. So but it's like I keep telling people they both come out the same day. Yeah. And well, obviously, New York and LA. Hereditary is going to be all over the country on June 8th. But I tell people, like, hey, go see Hereditary, feel like shit about your family, and then come see my movie and feel good about your family. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a great double feature. Tony Collette's in both. But, you know, Tony was so great. She came, you know, she brought her family to Brooklyn. Her and Nick had amazing chemistry right off the bat, which needed to happen. And she's just kind of a legend. When you kind of look at her career, she's. She's like a Sam Elliott or a Blythe. Now you forget how many amazing things she's done over the years, from yeah. Muriel's Wedding to Sixth Sense. You want to talk about a performance? Absolutely. I mean, I go, about ba- I go back to that all the time. I go yeah. back to that car scene all the time. Yeah. I can't watch that scene in the car at the end of Sixth Sense without crying. Absolutely. It's amazing, and that's her ability. And it was fun to work with Tony on this, where she just got to have fun. And got to be sweet and got to I, – I think she – I can't speak for her, but I think she really enjoyed the process. And yeah. It was just a fun shoot. So, you know, but day one was like, hey, Brett, uh, on the call sheet, Ted Danson, <laughs> Tony Collette, Nick Offerman, good luck. And I was like, oh, my god, how am I going to do this? So, you know, but they, they're just all so great and so willing to kind of play and have fun and um, – it was just an honor. And I, I, I really hope I get to work with Tony again. Yeah. I would – I, I think I will. Yeah. I think I will. Uh, if she'll have me, of is, course. Is, is your next uh, – your next thing's not announced yet, right? No, I've just got so many things kind of in the in the burner, you know, and I don't know what it will be. Yeah. Mark and I are constantly writing. There's a few things, you know, that are independent or a few things that are with companies or, you know, a couple of jobs circling. And you just kind of have to stay very – active and yeah. lenient and flexible yeah. because you never know what movie's going to go. You never know what's going to go or when it's going to go. And it's hard. It's been hard for me to adjust to that because I think there are filmmakers that are like, okay, I'm done with this. Now I'm going to go make this. Mm-hmm. Right. But those are very few. You got what the Coens and, right. and Guillermo now can kind of do what he wants. And you know, they're the, the heavy hitter guys and gals can do that. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, okay, now I'm going to go do this now. Like Ava DuVernay and Ryan Coogler, like these are amazing people who have totally earned their stripes and saying, "All right, now I know my next movie." And then everyone's like, "Great, let's go make that now." Yeah. And for me, I'm still at the place of like, I don't know what's going to be next. I, I, I'm saying, "Oh, I'd like it to be X," but <laughs> there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. Yeah, totally. So I just try to try to I'm trying to adjust to how that feels. Yeah. Because it's hard. Yeah. It is I hard bet. to not know what's. You know, where your next paycheck's coming from, what you're going to be focused on. Is it the right next movie? Mm-hmm. And I think people often forget that sometimes we don't really have a choice, a choice in that. Yeah. If we want to continue to make a living and put food on our family's table, we've got to sometimes go do movies that maybe maybe it's not the ideal follow-up or something like that. But you just have to go and, and believe that, okay, there's something in this story that I need to tell and, and, and try to attach yourself to things that you feel like you can bring value to. Yeah. So it's a mix, and it's so many different things. But I'm I'm hoping 
I'm hoping to be back in cinemas next year. That would be great. You'll get there. You'll figure out whatever. Or next. Netflix, I can say. <laughs> whatever. All of it counts. On laptop screens. Yeah, coming. that's fine. I'm wa- you know, I'm watching um not it's not a, I'm watching Evil Genius right now and I love it. <laughs> it's great. Well, the movie's called uh, Hearts Beat Loud. Uh, June 8th is the release date. In yeah, it's New June York 8th. and LA. New York, LA and then getting wider on Father's Day weekend and then it'll be kind of nationwide by the third week. Go check June. it out with Dad if you can. Yeah, it's a great Dad. Good movie. for that. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Brett. Really appreciate it. Yeah, Chris, thanks for having me, man. <laughs>